0: Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. It, oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. My name is W.J. Sheehan, author of the series of books, Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters all of which are available, 10 volumes at Amazon in paperback and ebook and Kindle format. And for you audio files out there, one through nine, and I'm gonna start working on 10, are available in audiobook at Audible, iTunes, and Amazon as well. So go out and buy yourself a few copies and uh, keep the ball rolling here. And now, without any further ado, may I introduce you to my brother and co-host, K.J. Sheehan. Kev, how are you? What's going on, Bill? Well, I told you I'm having a little back irritation Uh. today as I sit here in front of the microphone. Uh. Nasty business, the old back.
1: Did you catch a Bigfoot out in the garden and have to wrestle him to the ground?
0: Yeah, yeah, well, at least I won. <laughs> I had him in a full half Nelson, and he tapped out. I did
1: see a report of a Bigfoot waiting in line at a chiropractor in Long Island. <laughs> I didn't think to ask you if you were the root cause of that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I had him in a half Nelson, and he was spinning me around like a helicopter. <laughs> <waiting>. <laughs> Whoa, 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 slow down, slow down. That's a good
1: visualization right there.
0: <laughs> you know, remember any old cartoons where somebody would grab somebody and they got to be whirling around <laughs> trying to get him, and he's spinning around like the blade of a freaking chopper. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, um, awesome.
1: Well, I'm sorry your back <laughs> is hurting.
0: Yeah, yeah, what are you going to do? You know, I mean... uh I try. It's been fairly good lately. I've had issues through the years, you know. And uh sometimes I I get out of the habit of going for a little uh chiropractic adjustment, you know, just it's like a maintenance thing, you right, know. Right. Right. But it's really it's not a bad thing to do, but I I kind of steer away from it like, you know, oh, I'm just going to stand my own. I don't need any help, you know. Yep. But it's just, it's kind of dumb, you know, but... Yeah, you got to do that preventative
1: maintenance, as well as the much-needed maintenance.
0: Yeah, so here we are. So what do we got, bro, today in a cryptids and the news and other oddities segment? Well, you mentioned something about this a few episodes
1: ago, just not covering it, but you just mentioned it while we were doing another story that was from the skies, And I hadn't heard of this, and I was like, you know what? I got to take a look at that. And it's pretty darn interesting. And this is the rumored or documented uh, UFO crash at South Haven Park on Long Island.
0: Oh, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Okay, interesting. Because you know a little bit about this, you know, you'll definitely have to chime in. But I found a lot of different uh, stories about it online. Um, and it basically happened, right, in 1992. And, folks, South Haven Park is out on the eastern part of Long Island in Suffolk mm-hmm. County. Uh, not mm-hmm. the very tip of Long Island, more out at the meaty eastern part before the Forks
0: split. And I guess it's a county park, right, Bill? Yeah, it's a county park, and it's actually in the town of Yapank. All right. And the uh, Carmens River Is it the Carmens? I think it's the Carmens River runs down through the park. There's a a lake, uh, a set of controlled falls. You know, what do they call it? Like not a sluice way, but where they have the the board only allowing a little bit of water to go off at a time. And that flows out into the Great South Bay. And it's a great spot over there where a lot of people rent kayaks. And uh, paddled down to Carmens, You know, it's a beautiful, beautiful I was area. Say it
1: had to be like 40 years ago that I, I remember
0: going canoeing on that, that yeah, lake yeah, there. It was beautiful. Yeah, it's just a neat place. You know, a lot of people. There's barbecue areas in there, some baseball fields, and a lot of woods. So, uh, yeah, we used to go in there a bit. Yeah, and Danny, my buddy Danny, uh, fishes in the lake all the time. Oh, okay, cool. So, uh yeah. Go yeah. Ahead. So how this about, uh,
1: this particular story, um, uh, and you know, came from uh, um, Long Island UFO Fiber Network, and uh, the article was in the South Shore Press, which I guess is a newspaper down on the South Shore of Long Island, or at least was mm-hmm. in 1992. Mm -hmm. And um, they, they say that a local investigative group that had been researching accounts of identified objects, unidentified objects in the sky on Long Island for the past five years reported released a report with photos and videotape that claims an alien spacecraft crashed into a remote area of South Haven Park just before Thanksgiving. In 1992, so it happened at seven o'clock at night on November 24th, uh, 1992. Mm-hmm. And now I'm thinking, Bill, I was living in Arizona back then, so that's probably why I never heard of it. Didn't make it across yes. to Arizona. We had enough weird stuff going on in Arizona that we didn't have to go and look <laughs> to other states.
0: You didn't have to come to have to hear about this. We had
1: our own weird <laughs> stuff going on back then. Um, but you know, the, the, uh, the gentleman who, uh, is quoted often in here is a gentleman named John Ford, who was a founder of Long Island UFO network. And so some of the quotes come by, come from him, which is pretty good. He said, mm-hmm. um, we knew that something crashed into the park that night and we have bit by bit been able to finally put the picture together. So, mm-hmm. you know, and South Haven is close to a big highway called Sunrise Highway. And, you know, he wrote that several motor- motorists who were traveling along Sunrise Highway that evening contacted his organization and described what they thought was a plane that was going down into the park. And many local residents whose homes border South Haven report that they heard loud rumbling sounds and saw strange lights.
0: Mm -hmm. Eyewitness
1: accounts have confirmed that a fire was reported immediately after. In addition, the roads around South Haven Park were blocked off to travel by county and park police. Mm -hmm. And the next day and for a few days later, the park was completely closed to the public. Mm -hmm. One local resident who lives near the park said that for a five to six day period after the incident, his house experienced numerous power surges and the phone would ring strangely without anyone on the other end. Wow, that's freaking weird. Yeah, and this is the old days, you know, relative old days of phones where they were, you know, powered uh, to ring. You know what I mean? The old princess phone hanging on the wall. So if there's something going on with... The grid, you could have some weird stuff go on with your phone
0: too, you know. Yeah, but may I say, uh, this thing uh, came down in what I would call the back end of the park, like well into the woods. Yes, there ain't no power poles or anything when you walk around in there, it's just woods and dirt trails for like people or horses. All right, so it did. Really, if you see the lay of the land, folks, of this park, the only power poles are really out on the main drag. There's a couple of roads that border it, and power comes into, like, the ranger station, Mm -hmm. Uh, and there's a little uh, building out front where you can buy, rent a canoe, rent a rowboat, get a pass, and the power goes there. But beyond there, there ain't nothing. There's no lighting. There's nothing going back. So that's interesting, though, that whatever came down came down in the back of the park and it's power surges and stuff were going on. Cool. So. So uh,
1: another gentleman interviewed said, I ride horses in the park. So I'm pretty familiar with the activities there, said the 45-year-old man who requested an anonymity, easy for me to say, um, because of the sensitive nature of his job. He put in the quote inside parentheses is, they would fire me if they thought I believed in flying saucers. Mm -hmm. And for the next few days, there were a lot of military helicopters going over the park, and I couldn't get in. So this is a guy Mm -hmm. that was riding horses. And records Mm -hmm. show that South Haven Park was definitely closed between November 25th and 28th, according to park officials. And they say Mm -hmm. it was closed that week, the officials say, um, because it was reserved for duck hunting. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Although some of the area fire departments were initially called with this uh, report of a crash, they were turned back, and the fire was handled by the federally controlled Brookhaven National Lab Fire Department.
0: Yeah. Now, let me tell you this, man. I'm going to give you a little background on this. It's going to rattle your cage. Uh, A number of years after... Uh, this event happened. Kev, you know, I was working for uh, a major trucking company. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, part of my route was in the uh, laboratory. Brookhaven National Lab, which folks, you yeah. know, if you don't know
1: Brookhaven National Lab or BNL, it's one of the largest and earliest uh federal labs that was doing all kinds of research, you know, nuclear research, et cetera. Right. They had a small, I don't know if they still do, Bill, but they had a small nuclear reactor out there.
0: Yeah, they do. Building uh, 750, actually, was the reactor building. And uh, so I had free range of the laboratory doing what I was doing. I could walk anywhere. I could go anywhere. I knew a lot of people in there. And uh, one day I went into the fire department uh, knowing what had happened in the park uh, years earlier. And I ran the question by the chief as to what ha- what happened and, you know, do you have any records of going in there? So he pulls out this big, like, uh, log book right in front of me. I mean, it was like a, just a big binder with a hardcover... And a lot of pages you could flip through, like a giant ledger book. Mm -hmm. And he said, "Nah, we got no record of being in there at all. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. (laughs) It is funny. But you see, oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we try to deceive. So, you know, like you just said, the story was the outside fire department was thwarted from entering. And only the federal fire department from the laboratory was allowed to go in. And here this individual is telling me they never went there. Yeah. I don't know anything about what you're talking about. Crazy. Crazy. (laughs) It's just bizarre. You know, what does it mean? I don't know. But it's just bizarre that, you know, the, the nonsense that goes on. You just can't get straight information.
1: Yep. Yep.
0: But go ahead, Kevin. Yeah, so
1: this gentleman, Ford, went into uh, the park after, you know, a week later when he could get in, uh, a week after the reported crash. And he said he found an area, or we found an area, that was burned out with some of the trees bent over. A section looked like it had been plowed over by machinery, but two things were of particular interest to Ford. He said he was getting higher than normal radiation readings in the area, higher than the typical background radiation that you'd find. And then Mm -hmm. this part's weird. I'm not sure what to make of it. He said, and the fence line in that area had no magnetic reading. And he went on to explain that fences, metal fences maintain a magnetic charge from the earth. I have no idea about that, but maybe, maybe a very slight magnetic charge, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, But he says something had stripped away the magnetic charge from the fence.
0: Mm.
1: And then, uh, you know, uh, uh, after the crash, you know, weeks after, he received a videotape from uh, some folks that were also anonymous. And he says, I can't say where I got it from because these people who supplied the tape are afraid that the government will go after them. And because of the poor quality of the tape, Ford has been working with video specialists to try to enhance the quality of the picture and produce stills. The video, Mm -hmm. a copy of which was given to South Shore Press, shows many people examining a bright reddish metallic type object about four square feet that appears to be emitting a white cloudy gas and, and a hissing sound can be heard. A sight and sound that resembles dry ice that has been exposed to warmer temperatures. And the next shot shows what appears to be a person trying to lift up the body, lift up a body near a tree. But the poor quality of film makes it makes positive identification just simply impossible. And in the final scene, three uniformed men wearing dark jackets and rounded caps, similar to a SWAT team, are seen placing large, signy spread, similar to mylar, over something on the ground. So, you know, that's Hmm. probably one of those uh, thermal blankets, you know, I would guess. Uh, Yeah, something to that effect. Things are happening I mean, fast, and the guy who took mm-hmm. the shots doesn't want to be too obvious and converse, confesses that it's hard to get people to come forward and admit what they've seen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: And, you know, and folks, folks, just an, uh, uh, let me break in here yeah. for a second. You know, folks, we live here on, uh, we I live here on Long Island. There are a number of uh, airports around here. Uh, we got MacArthur pretty big. Gabreski, um, he, you know the the field over on uh, William Floyd down in Shirley, which is actually right across from the park, or very close to it, uh, Farmingdale, uh, and you know occasionally, unfortunately, there are small planes that go down or miss a runway or engine failure. But you don't hear anything to these effects going on or surrounding these crashes. Uh, They're pretty open, you know. Uh, Of course, you're going to block stuff off, you know. Yeah, just from a safety
1: standpoint. But, you know, you'll see a helicopter flying over that takes a picture of the, the crash of the plane, stuff like that, right?
0: Right. I mean, like, here on the island, you can have News 12 hovering over the scene giving you an aerial shot. But, like, these people were saying, like, there were uh, uh, military helicopters going over the scene days after the event. I mean, it's very unusual. You know what I mean? Just very unusual circumstances. Yeah, you know, it's unusual, Bill, for the military helicopters, but you also
1: have a lot of Air National Guard and stuff like that that's based there at various airports on Long Island, right?
0: Yeah, well, you got West Hampton over there, which is an Air Guard base. Right. You know, they get those C-130s over there. They've got uh, jets that come in and out of there periodically. And it appears like, I, I don't know what the arrangement is over there, but sometimes you see like business jets going in there and stuff. Right. So I don't know if there's like special accommodations for some rich people on the East End to land a Learjet in there or something. I don't know. But there is a full tower in there, you know, control center, and, you know, it's a military base. Oh, yeah. It used
1: to be, I know, when they were flying the shuttle out of uh, Cape Canaveral, the space shuttle, that used to be the home of the rescue team. Yes. That would go out if something went wrong with the shuttle. That's right. It would, I guess it would proceed on an arc up over the North Atlantic on a typical launch, so they would launch from there because it sticks out into the Atlantic.
0: Yeah, and that's a big air rescue wing over there, too. I see those guys. It's interesting. Sometimes, uh, (coughs) excuse me, if I'm down by the Atlantic Beach on a night, just a random event, they're practicing uh, rescues uh, over the surf. Oh, cool. So so you'll see a, a, a huge chopper down right at wave top, you know, twenty feet off the water, with the lights and everything going on, and they're repelling into the surf or doing whatever they're doing, you know. Wow. Yeah. So they they regularly exercising over there, you know. Very cool. Yeah. So, well, that's it's cool, man. The South Haven UFO incident, and uh, that happened a good while ago, and like everything else, there was some talk about it, and then everything washed out.
1: Yeah, thirty years ago, right? So yeah, yeah, more than thirty years
0: ago. Yeah, yeah. Interesting, man.
1: Yeah, it's a cool. One back to the skies this week. So, uh, Bill, as as we come out of the skies and looking at UFOs, uh, what kind of account do you have for us this week?
0: Well, we've got a uh, an interesting uh, sighting by the Lewis River. Uh, it's told to me by Larry DePaulis, a resident of the state of Washington. And this is what Larry and his partner Wayne saw while on a hike where the Lewis River spills into what's known as the Lower Falls. It was June of 2015 when Wayne and I had hiked into the area where the Lewis River spills over into what is known as the Lower Falls. This was our destination for the hike that day, after which we were going to turn around and just hike back out. It was overcast and drizzling off and on, which is not at all unusual for the area. If I waited for a nice day to do half the things that I want to do around these parts, I would get next to nothing done. (laughs) Well said, my friend. So we had hiked in and were standing on what I'll call a rocky outcropping, where the falls spill into another tributary that carves its way off into the distance through the trees. Our view that day was looking down over this tributary that winds its way up and into the distance through these trees and out of our sight. The distant mountains were shrouded in fog, And the river was bordered heavily by pines and brush, most of which comes hard up against the river's sides. Where we stood, there was a considerable amount of noise being generated by the falling water, but by no means so loud that we couldn't hear ourselves talking or anything like that. It was a rather steady drone, if you will, like white noise or background music, Where we stood, there was a pool of water in the rocks, more like a large puddle, formed by the relentless flow of water, next to which was a large outcropping of rock that began at about chest level, rising higher to our right-hand side, which had trees and moss growing all over the top of it. Wayne was the first to notice some of the smaller trees moving about down and to our right along the river, which to us was an immediate indicator of something large moving through them. And it had our attention. The movement of the trees indicated that whatever this was, was heading downriver and away from our position. Perhaps about 75 yards or so as we were looking, there was a small patch of exposed sedimentary river bottom in the distance, at about a hundred yards, being in the shape of a wide slice of pie, maybe twenty feet by ten feet in size. It was the only such area visible from where we stood, and if the river had risen, say six inches, it wouldn't be there to see. So the two of us are standing there anxiously awaiting what may unfold as the trees continued to move about in what appeared to be a beeline for this patch of the exposed river bottom. I don't think two minutes or so had gone by when suddenly emerging from the edge of the forest and now standing on this small patch of sand was an enormous Sasquatch. As you would imagine, the two of us were caught completely off guard by this occurrence, and we both instinctively tried to shift our bodies into a position where we would be somewhat concealed behind this rock outcropping, which I told you about earlier, but it was too late. This creature, for some reason, turned immediately to look at us as we moved, stared us down for about 10 seconds, and retreated into the trees. We watched the trees start moving again as an indicator yet again that it was moving away, but they didn't. The two of us stood watching and concentrating on the bushes, both of us pointing and imagining that we were seeing it peering through the bushes looking at us. If it was there, it was very well concealed and staying quite still. I guess it was about... For 40 minutes, we stood our ground watching for any type of movement, and there was nothing of the sort, and so we backed out of there, unwilling to wait any longer. To be honest with you, the two of us were none too anxious about the potential of this thing backtracking to come and say hello to us if you catch my drift. And so we boogied on out of there. When we had arrived at this ledge, followed by the trees beginning to move, We believed that this creature was only 20 yards or less away from us before it started to move. I don't believe it knew we were there. Neither did we know it was there. The sounds of the water drowning out all of our movements collectively. Why it had emerged exactly at that spot and what it was going to do there is anyone's guess, but seeing us had foiled its plans for the moment. My guess is it was about eight feet tall and cylindrical, very broad from head to toe. It was very darkly colored, somewhat blackish, brownish, and having a noticeable bald crown on the top of its skull. From our perspective, its face and palms appeared somewhat gray, with the hands hanging at about knee level or a little above them. I wish there was more to embellish upon, but that was it. The creature came into our lives and exited like a branch falling from a tree, and it was all over. In all the time we had collectively spent hiking, I don't believe that either of us had ever thought that we would be the ones to have such a sighting, and yet we had. It was utterly fantastic. What do you make of that, Kev? Boy, they got a pretty close look at its face huh yeah i mean what was he saying about 70 yards or something yeah but he could see the gray of the face and grayish stuff. grayish looking skin on the face and the hands yeah i mean well and yet
1: another sighting of the hairy man in uh, uh you know the rural northwest near a river
0: you know yeah they obviously you find water you find life Yep. It, this is no uh, uh, no amazing fact here. You know, everything needs water. There's fish, there's clams, there, there's all kinds of stuff, including lush undergrowth when you get near any body of water. Yeah. So, uh, you know, like, Kev, when you were up uh, salmon fishing, And uh, all of those lush plants were there that the bears can eat and stuff. Oh, yeah,
1: yeah. Protein-rich plants, kind of like a lettuce, but, you know, different up in Alaska. Yeah, lettuce or celery-like. Sedge, Sedge, I think they call it. Sedge, yeah, that's it. We ate some. Like, our guide was like, try it. And I was like, yeah, it's pretty good. It's better than kale.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yeah, interesting, you know. Nothing crazy, uh, but, but as crazy as it can be, just seeing a sasquatch. Oh yeah,
1: yeah. But again, a, a pair of very experienced hikers. You know, a lot of folks write in, right, Bill, and they say, "How do I see one? How do I see one of these?" And the way you see them is you have to be out there with them. You know, right where they're going to be. Right. You're not going to just go out there one day, not likely, at least, and uh, run into a Bigfoot your first hike out in the woods. And you may. You may, but it's not likely. The old beginner's luck, right? Yeah, true.
0: But, you know, that really is, really is luck. (laughs) You know, like the woman, I don't think we ever did this. One day we'll get to it. Uh, But I had this woman, uh, I think she was on 95 going north. Mm. New Hampshire, Vermont. I I forget where it was. She had this bugger run across the highway in the middle of the night. Mm. Right in front of her. Just like a deer would, you know, Kev? Like, yeah. whoa! You know, but it was a Bigfoot. Yeah. And so just that It definitely easy,
1: happens. Yeah, just right? that We've easy. have seen
0: some of the videotapes of it.
1: You know, police reports where uh, there's one sighting, I forget, I think I covered it, where um, the troopers are going down the road and, and their dash cam picks up something. Looks like a Bigfoot running across the road in front of them.
0: Yeah, and when do you hear about these things, folks... Uh, These critters can move Oh yeah I mean they are like a freaking flash Covering you know The highway going across Including leaping or jumping Or whatever else they have to do They can really boogie So uh I told you before Kev I was watching a deer in my yard a number of weeks ago Something spooked him and these things in a few bounds, boing, boing, boing. They went like oh, 50 yeah. They went like fifty yards. Yeah, no, I'd like say jump nothing. over a
1: big fence, like
0: six foot fence. Yeah, just, just bang, boink, right over. Yeah. So there you have it, man. Lewis River Falls in uh, Washington. Very cool account. Yep. Very cool account. All right.
1: Well, it's time for some listener mail, Bell, and we're going to cover a couple this week. And I will warn you ahead of time, one of the emails is quite critical of us. Oh, that's nice. I like critics. So I don't want to suppress that because, you know, there are some valid points made. Um, but you know it is critical, and I do want to let our listeners know that even critical emails will be read occasionally <laughs> once every six or seven years. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> so our first
1: one is more on the fun side. So Dave from Boston writes in, and the subject is multiple choice and he and he has attached a picture, okay of a hairy man appearing in like a jungle so and it says and it's a very high resolution picture very clear not fuzzy etc and it says so is this picture one of the following letter a an actual picture of gigantopithecus captured in the wild Or letter B, a rare photo from one of the last remaining rainforest cafes in upstate New York. (laughs) (laughs) And he says, thought you guys would enjoy. I think we screwed ourselves because my six-year-old wants us to come here for dinner whenever we go out. But but it's an eight-hour drive from our house in the Boston area.
0: Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Can't yeah, go.
1: Dave, I think you did
0: screw yourself. Can't go can't go here for lunch.
1: <laughs> Not on a regular basis.
0: How about Mickey D's?
1: Exactly. Exactly. All right, Bill, you ready? Yeah. So now we don't want to be too harsh on this person because they are a fan. Yeah, yeah. So this is Ross. And he writes in just a quick message to communicate my surprise and disappointment. At your judgment of the giant story from Cryptid in the News from this week's episode. So this was a story, Bill, that I covered from Pennsylvania. Yep, yep. Okay. Besides the hundreds of accounts of giants being found in mounds throughout the United States, among other places, the giants are in the Bible, gentlemen. Not only is the irony of Sasquatch evangelists like yourselves doubting the historic existence of giants very bitter, but you're sort of being hypocritical in your criticism considering your, your apparent uh, devotion to Christianity. All right. So and then he goes on and says the fact that you could not find the story in the modern New York Times website is hardly evidence of it never being there. Do you know how many UFO debunking articles you could previously find in the archives that were one of this once revered rag? <laughs> He's referring to the New York Times.
0: Yeah, once once revered rag. Once revered.
1: Sorry. Yeah. yeah. I, I used to be able to talk. Yeah. <laughs> and, and now they are the very publication legitimizing the same phenomena. Mm-hmm. And he says, you guys are pretty cocky and simple-minded sometimes. Well, thank you for the compliment. At least it's only sometimes. <laughs> and overstep your boundaries of expertise. Well, we do that on a regular basis. <laughs> I, have, I have no expertise. In <laughs> and this I today.
0: have said outright, I'm no expert. So <laughs> I have no where's expert he coming from, you know? I have a podcast. Yeah. Uh-huh.
1: Uh, and i have a uh, a browser on the internet
0: although i um, although i do wear a burnished brass badge that says expert
1: <laughs>
0: and a cowboy
1: hat he says consider the wiser phrase of i don't know when judging the authenticity authenticity of other unexplained and unrecognized phenomena sasquatch being one of them I believe humility is a very Christian principle. Try practicing it a little more. So so first off, first off, I say I don't know. I think every time we talk about an account. Um, so, so again, Ross, I'm not defending myself, but I definitely do not know any of this stuff to be
0: fact or fiction. I don't know. Yeah. You know, I haven't seen... The Bigfoot. Yeah, and frankly, you know I, mean? I don't know where this cat is coming from. He sounds angry to me. He, Well, he was I think he was having a bad day, but yeah. I do want to cover it, and I don't want to pick on and Ross. Because he is taking
1: the time to write
0: in, no, which is terrific. It's good you know? stuff, but the other thing is, how many times have I talked about giants in the Bible? No, I don't. And and by the way, he may not be listening to us.
1: No, no. And and very importantly, this story from Pennsylvania that I covered in Cryptids in the News and Other Oddities, I was not sure about that story. Yeah. Not about Giants.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. So, and I'm sorry, Ross, if I didn't make that clear, but I was was commenting on that story. Yeah. And, you know, you can argue with me about that story. That's fine. I'm not mad Um, because I don't know. I just found uh, articles shortly thereafter when that was published saying that uh, the part, you know, certain parts about the horns on the skulls weren't true. And then there was debate about what they were calling a giant back there then because the Native Americans that they encountered were much taller than the Europeans that came in and settled. So, you know, it could be and that that. You know the Europeans would call people a giant if they were six foot two and they were standing at five foot two that's
0: right that's right and so, and listen, I am a hundred and fifty percent a believer that many giants have been uncovered uh in digs around the world, and like they're scurried away or have disappeared. yeah, I am definitely of that conspiratorial ilk where I believe they have been found and dug up and they're being kept, you know, away from, uh, prying eyes. So, yeah.
1: I mean, and I'm, I'm ahead. not quite there, but I know that there are a lot of other history of, uh, giant bones being found that seem viable, you yeah. know, that I, and I've covered some of them. So Ross, you know, I, I'm glad you wrote in. Uh, I'm sorry that we made you angry. Um, that's not what it's about. And, uh, I will definitely uh, try to say I don't know more often when I don't
0: know because I don't know. <laughs> I don't know right now, honestly. So. But, Kev, you're spoiling the fun. Can't uh, we say another story that'll make somebody else angry? Well, of course. We to <laughs> like <to do> <laughs> oh, my God. Well, it's the nature of the beast, you know? It's all good. It's yep. all good. Yeah. I
1: mean, it's it's fine. So, uh Let's rock and roll, and uh, folks, thank you for writing in. Another good podcast in the books, Bill, and um, um, I want to thank everyone for those five-star reviews. If you haven't given us one lately, please hit us up with a five-star review. It's virtually the only means we have of attracting new listeners to the podcast, and by getting new listeners, we're able to stay on schedule and continue to publish on a weekly basis. So
0: Yeah, and folks, remember, if you're out there walking around the Lewis Falls or maybe somewhere in Alabama, the big thicket, you best remember one thing. Always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Sleep tight.